Tonight I'll be preaching from the book of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, and I'll be reading from verse 1 down to verse number 11. 2 Peter chapter 1, and we will stand, I'm asking kindly that we stand during this time to honor the word of God, and as we honor God, God certainly will be well pleased. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as he, his divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your ver- faith pr- virtue, to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. And if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, thank you once again for your precious word. Lord, use it as you do time and time again to draw men, women, boys, and girls to you, to speak to our hearts, to Guide us, dear Lord, into your will for our lives. I pray that you would do that once again tonight. Strengthen, encourage, challenge us where needed. Take full control. Give me the words you love me to say. May they be a source of encouragement and strength and blessing tonight. And we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory that's due your holy name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You will be seated. You and I live in a world of uncertainty. When we look around at all that is happening and the things that come before us, we can only look and shake our heads, really, because so many unexpected things happen from day to day, and it underscores the reality that life in itself is uncertain. If we didn't know that before, we certainly know it after having experienced this COVID-19 pandemic. We have learned how to adapt and how to function recognizing this uncertainty of life. Uncertainty, however is woven into not just the big events like pandemics, but it really is woven into 
every aspect of life. I'm going to share with you some examples of this to illustrate how life itself is so uncertain and we make certain decisions and choices and even implement certain institutions into life itself because of the uncertainty of life. You think of the aspect of investments. And we all would like to know that we have financial security. And so in an effort to be good stewards of what we've been blessed with and to ensure that we can retire with some sense of peace and be able to enjoy your retirement and maybe travel the world and not have to worry about where the next meal is going to come from, we do what's called investing. But even in investing, you are encouraged to diversify. In other words, don't put all your proverbial eggs into one basket. And so you place some investments into what are considered fast-growing. These are the more risky endeavors because you want somehow these investments to take off. But it would be foolhardy to place all of your savings or investments into these kinds of investments. And so you take some and you place it into maybe some slower-growing, less risky investments. Why? So that if one fails, you don't lose everything. Why? Because life is uncertain. You think of commercials. These commercials, they give you big, bold guarantees, if you will, about how wonderful their product is. But then, right in the same breath, there's some fine print which no one bothers to read because the fine print is safeguarding themselves because they understand even their product and its performance is uncertain. You listen to commercials and they have these emphatic statements and then the fast-talking statements to cover themselves. Why? Because they are aware that life is uncertain. You think of the uncertainty of the weather. You plan an event. You plan a sports event or any event. And you weave sometimes into that makeup days or schedule adjustments. Why? If the weather doesn't permit. We pay thousands and thousands of dollars for insurance premiums for our homes because of the uncertainty that in the worst case scenario you might have a hurricane or you might have a natural disaster that can unexpectedly impact our homes and the banks want to protect their investments so they mandate that we pay these insurance premiums. Wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to pay insurance? I mean, we would figure, yeah, we could be rich off of, of, of not paying. What? But it's not going to be allowed. Why? Because life is uncertain. You think of the area of medicine. You go to the doctor hoping to get something to resolve your health issue and the doctor says to you, try this. 
in his very verbiage, he's saying to you, listen, I'm hoping that this works, but I think I needed to try because I really don't know for sure whether it's going to resolve the issue or not. On a more serious note, you think of doctors and medical practitioners. They have to ensure that they themselves and their practices are highly insured because the practice of medicine itself is filled with uncertainty. But in spite of all these natural uncertainties of life, there are still people who would still make bold predictions because they know that we all still like to hear a guarantee. I mean, not to pick on them, but you ever hear politicians talking about uncertainty, especially when they are in opposition? I mean, they come to you and they tell you with boldness, I will do this, I will do that, and I promise you, my first day in office, this is going to happen and that is going to happen. Why did they do that? Because they know we like to hear guarantees. We don't like to hear about uncertainty. And then after they get in, they tell you, hey, there's some uncertain times coming and what I promised you is not going to be possible. But life, my friend, is filled with uncertainty. But tonight, I want to share with you a guarantee from the word of God. And this guarantee is not affected by the uncertainty of life because this guarantee is given by the giver of life. Amen? And this passage is of great encouragement to me as a born-again believer. And I trust that it will be of great encouragement to you tonight. Oftentimes, we hear, and I hear, the excuses from people who don't want to be Christians, don't want to be a child of God, because maybe it's the whole aspect of uncertainty. Because if I were to make a decision, maybe, just maybe, there is some uncertainty that I am going to backslide. And as a result, many people refuse to make a decision to trust the Lord. But tonight in 2 Peter chapter 1 and in the verses that we read, God himself has given us a guarantee for living a triumphant and successful Christian life. And tonight I want to preach very briefly a message, and my introduction probably will be longer than the message, that says, that's entitled rather, No Reason to Lose. No reason to lose. My friend, you and I, because of what God has done for us, we have a guarantee from God how to be triumphant in living the life that he has called us to do. Isn't it great that we can be free from uncertainty in this area? This is the word of God. And so I want you to see three things here very quickly tonight. First of all, notice the provisions. There are some provisions that we have been given. Now notice the apostle Peter, rather, in verse number one. The Bible says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained, what? Like precious 
faith. No, if you are born again tonight, guess what? You have a measure of faith. You have been saved by faith. No one can be saved without placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. This is what we call saving faith. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through what? Faith. That not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. And so the Peter here mentions that, listen, we have some provisions that are already in our possession. And we, by virtue of being children of God, have faith. So God wants to grow that faith. But... At the very beginning, we all have saving faith, without which a person cannot be born again. So understand that we have this wonderful provision of faith. That's why Peter says here, like precious faith. So think of the provisions that you already have and count in your bucket the provision of faith. But notice the next provision of grace. Grace. The Bible says here in verse number two, grace and peace be what? Multiplied. Now, something can't be multiplied unless you have it already. Amen? And so, we have grace. This is God's riches at Christ's expense. Listen, God has showered us with unmerited favor. That means that we didn't do anything to get it, but God showered it upon us. Thank God for his amazing grace. We didn't purchase it. We received it. God has given that to us. That's another wonderful provision that we have been blessed with. So we have the provision of faith. We have the provision of grace. And then we have the wonderful provision of peace. With God. Look at that verse. He says, Grace and peace with God. This means that the enmity that existed between God and man because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of our faith in that provision on Calvary's cross, we now have peace with God. There's no more enmity, there's no more strife. That's why Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't take this for granted that we can be at peace with the God of the universe. Now, notice these three wonderful provisions that we might take for granted. We didn't have anything to do with it. God has given us faith, given us Grace, giving us peace. And notice, in verse number three, because of these provisions that we have received from God, we have everything we need to do everything that God wants and expects us to do. Now look at verse number three. It says, according as his divine power hath given unto us, what? All things that pertain unto life 
and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. So understand that God has set us up with these amazing provisions of faith and grace and peace. And the reason why we know that we have everything within these provisions to do what God has called us to do is because his knowledge and his power assure us of this. Notice in that verse, he says, according as his divine power has given us all these things through his knowledge. So God, in his infinite knowledge, has given us what we need so that we can be successful. He's powerful enough to do it. He's omnipotent and he's knowledgeable enough. He's omniscient so he knows exactly what we need to get the job done. According to his divine power and his knowledge. No. You might be saying, well, if every born-again believer has these provisions, how come we have so many people who fall? How come we have so many people who fail? Well, God has given these provisions, but understand, jot this down, secondly, they are not only provisions, but there is a process. A process. It's kind of like having the ingredients necessary to bake a cake or the ingredients necessary to a meal or a dish. Just because you have the ingredients doesn't mean that you will have a tasty end product. You have the ingredients, but along with acquiring the ingredients are some instructions of what to do with the ingredients so you can then have a nice tasty dish or a meal. And so there are ingredients and then there is a process. Now notice this so very clearly in the word of God. As Peter continues on in verse number 5, notice where he says, And besides this, meaning and beside or in addition to the provisions that I've already made clear that we have been given, notice you're going to have to do some things. You're going to have to be diligent in doing so. Notice he says, and beside this, giving all diligence, do what? Add. So when it comes to living a successful life, my friend, we're not going to just have the, the, the privilege, if you want to call it that, to just sit down and expect everything to go our way. Just because we have these amazing provisions from God, we're going to have to engage the process and to add some things. Now notice what he says we got to do. By the way, the provisions had nothing to do with us. But the process surely has something to do with us. We're going to have to work the process. So he says, beside this, giving all diligence, add to your what? Faith. Remember the faith was, was a provision in the first place. He says, add to your faith virtue. It means that if you're going to be equipped with virtue, you have to add and work it into your process. Amen? Virtue is moral excellence. 
your mind and body not contaminated by sin. Listen, this does not mean perfection, but it surely means that to him that knoweth to the good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. It simply means that if God has revealed to you that, listen, this is right and this is wrong, if you're going to be filled with virtue, you have to act on what you know. That's moral excellence. And so he says, add to your faith virtue. And so there are some things that a, a, a born again, a newborn believer uh, can do because they are aware in terms of their knowledge and their, their understanding of the word of God. This is right and this is wrong. You respond to that and you become virtuous. Moral excellence. You got to add that. It's not going to just drop in your lap. He says, add to your faith virtue. And to your virtue, what? Knowledge. You know what this knowledge is? This is spiritual truth. And here's what we must understand about this type of knowledge. It comes with a genuine hatred for sin. The opposite of this knowledge being spoken of here is spiritual blindness. And spiritual blindness, my friend, accompanies sin. Spiritual blindness is, is a lack of understanding. And with a person who more and more uh, takes sin lightly, they become less and less knowledgeable of spiritual truth. I want you to turn in the Bible to Titus chapter 1 and notice some verses here. that indicate this aspect of spiritual blindness that, listen, it is a major blight that's plaguing believers. Look at Titus chapter 1 and verse 15. It says, unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. Eve, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Sin has corrupted their spiritual understanding, their knowledge. They profess, notice, they profess that they know God. But in works, they deny him being abominable and disobedient. And unto every good work, reprobate. See that word disobedient? When we are intentionally disobedient after being exposed to the truth, my friend, it brings about spiritual blindness and a lack of knowledge that Peter refers to here in this text. So, when you add to virtue knowledge, spiritual understanding, then you add to your knowledge what? Temperance. You know what's temperance? Self-control. Being able to hold yourself back. You know why temperance comes after knowledge? Because there's an understanding of, that, of what sin does. And then temperance produces patience. You know what patience is? 
It's endurance in trials. Endurance. Building Christian character. Maturity. Maturity comes about in the Christian life when we see the greater purpose of what God is doing. And here's how patience is so important and how it manifests itself in the Christian life because it's amazing that patience is one of those things that when you have it, you gain more of it. But when you are deficient of it, it it always continues to be a struggle. Why? Because here's why patience is so, 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 so important to this Christian life is because patience comes about because you've seen some things before. You've seen God do some things. You've seen him work in situations. And so you demonstrate some stability because of God's track record. And so I've had some endurance to difficult times and I've seen God do it before and I know he can do it again. So I'm going to demonstrate patience in these trials. And then patience produces godliness. You know what godliness simply is? Being like God. Patience produces that. Aren't you glad that God is patient with us? What what if God were not patient with us? Where would we be? And godliness produces brotherly kindness. Actions of kindness to others. You know why patience produces brotherly kindness? Because in spite of being wronged, I'm patient and so I can be kind even to those who are not kind to me. Because God himself has been patient with me. God himself has been kind to me even when I didn't deserve it. And so because I'm seeking to be godly, I'm seeking to be like God, I can demonstrate brotherly kindness. Because I'm being more godly. You see how these things progress? One produces the other. You know, there's no way you're going to get down to brotherly kindness if you don't have some self-control. Everything everybody does throws you off the handle. It's a process. These things happen in the right sequence. And brotherly kindness produces what? Charity. Love. This love is an agape love. It's an unconditional love. It is the love of God himself. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commended his Love towards us. That's an unconditional love as seen by the verses following in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't it amazing that this love that is produced happens so far down the sequence? Because this love is not impacted by what is done. It's unconditional. This love is not based on 
your favorite song playing and it just gives you the warm and fuzzies. No. This is one that is produced even when you are attacked, even when you are hurt, even when you are wrongly accused. Why? Because God himself is the object of this love. We then develop the ability to hate what God hates and love what God loves. This, my friend, this type of love and this charity here, this is not a natural response. But it's a love that comes from God. Notice what 1 John chapter 4, and we spent much time in this epistle, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7 to 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. But this is a part of the process. Notice how many things we have to work on. How many things we need to implement and apply to our lives. But guess what? We have everything that we need to incorporate the process because we have been given the most amazing provisions of faith and peace and grace. And with those provisions, we can apply the process. But notice finally, there are provisions. There's a process. And God assures us with a rock-solid guarantee that if we incorporate this process, we can have a promise that we can rely on. Notice in verse number 8. This promise, mark you, is conditional. Amen? It says, for if, if, conditional, if we apply this process, if we work this process, if we take the ingredients that we have been given and we make an intentional, concerted effort to add some things and to add some things and to add some things, if we do these things and these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what God is simply saying. If you do these things, if you work this process with sincerity and with diligence, here's what's going to happen in your Christian life. You are going to be useful. Not barren. You're going to find God's will for your life. You're going to be useful and you're going to be fruitful. You're going to be productive. You're going to be doing God's will. You're going to abound. Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 15. And you notice the connection between this passage and 2 Peter. As it relates to this matter of fruitfulness and usefulness, 
John's Gospel chapter 15 and verse number 7. Notice again, this verse begins with the word if. These things are conditional, my friend. They, they, they are not automatic. It says if, Jesus speaking, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear what? Much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Here is God's will and desire for every believer that we be useful and we be fruitful. God doesn't want us to be barren. God doesn't want us to be lacking. He wants us to abound. But he says this promise is linked to abiding in me and letting this process work in your life. And he says if you do these things, look at verse number 10 back in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, look at this, promise. Look at this guarantee. Ye shall never fall. Wow. Never. I'm talking about not even one time. Amazing. But notice the flip side. If we don't, in verse number 9, we shall not only be useless, but fruitless. But he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. If it's the people who've been saved for so long, and you wonder if they're saved, because they act like they're lost, that's uselessness and fruitlessness. Look back at John chapter 15 and verse 6. Because Jesus gives the, the other side of not abiding in him. He says in verse number 6 of John chapter 15, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. God says there is no reason for a born-again believer to lose. No reason to fall. No reason to fail when we have a sure guarantee from the Word of God. God says, I've given you provisions, but you're going to have to be diligent in taking these provisions and applying this process and working them into your life and watch God grow you and mature you as a believer who has the stability to be useful and to be fruitful such that we can stand and be strong and be a much fruit for God's honor and for his glory with all of the uncertainties of life, and are they many, we can have a guarantee that 
when we apply God's recipe, if you will, to our life, we would mature and grow and abound in what God has for us and stand on a promise that can never fail.